Well, may the Lord show his power as we open his word. The Holy Spirit inspired it, gave it to us, and it's very special to be able to see what God says. And in particular, this morning about our inheritance in Christ. So thank you to Dale, to Dale for leading and for the Bible readings and and we'll be referring to those passages and mostly in Joshua uh, this morning. So you know where to have your place in your Bibles. What would you like to inherit if you could inherit something? What would you like to inherit? What would you do if you inherited a large stately home and estate? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? If you'd inherit that. I can uh, think it'd be lovely to... Uh, have a place for kind of missionaries to come on furlough, a place to house people who are struggling and to use the land and so on. It'd be wonderful to have opportunities like that to inherit something like that. And uh, we could, yeah, we could all, all live together, couldn't we? Maybe and have a no, maybe we shouldn't be monks or anything like that. But uh, but it'd be nice to have a place where we could all meet and it'd be fantastic. What, what would you like to inherit? Use your imagination. What would you like to inherit? Let's pray. Lord, you know what's come to our minds. Lord, as we thought about what to inherit. Lord, as we look at your word now, help our minds to be shaped and formed by your word what is the most desirable inheritance that we can have and that we have in Christ. And help us, Lord, to truly desire that most of all. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, the Israelites, they left Egypt... And when they left, they were free. So they were out of slavery. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 20 to 25, it tells us uh, the anticipation of a, a child asking parents about the things that the Israelites did as a, as a community, as they, as they obeyed the laws of God and, and so on. And what are these things? What's the meaning of the decrees, statutes and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? This is what they were to tell him in verse 21. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and on all his household. But he brought, brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So that's the answer that was to be given to children as they would ask questions as the anticipation is that God's people would be in this land, out of slavery and in a land of God's blessing. Now we've been looking through Joshua and we come to chapter 14 and much of the land has been conquered. Many of the inhabitants have been driven out. And uh, much of the land has been taken over by the Israelites. Uh, and this was all according to the instructions that God gave to Moses. And Joshua now, when we come to chapter 14, is able to begin the dividing of the land into the allotments or into the areas for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, we see chapters 12 and right through to chapter 19 of Joshua there's this focus on the, the land distribution, the land distributed amongst the different tribes. In uh, Joshua chapter 19 and verse 51, it says there about 
looking back on the distribution, these were the portions that the priest Eliezer, Joshua the son of Nun, and the family heads distributed to the Israelite tribes by lot at Shiloh in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing up to the land. So that takes us up to the end of chapter 19. Now, there's a bit of an explanation because you've heard about the 12 tribes of Israel, but we've also, in our reading from chapter 14, heard about the nine and a half tribes and the, the two and a half tribes of Israel. Well, what's going on there? Well, the Israelites arrived from Egypt the long way around uh, after the world, wanderings in the wilderness. They arrived in Canaan from the east, from the east side, from this side. So coming to Canaan, uh, towards the west from, from the east there. And the River Jordan, of course, runs down the middle, and the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the, the part of the tribe, half the tribe of Manasseh, which is a very big tribe. You can see um, on, the, on the screen there, there's two, two Manasses. Uh, one's the eastern half, and the other's the, the western half. And Reuben, Gad, and the eastern uh, tribe of Manasseh had their allotment on the east side of the, of the Jordan. And so we get those three, two and a half tribes on that side. But the fighting age men of those two and a half tribes, they, had, they settled their families, they settled their uh, homes there on the east. But the, the fighting men amongst them then went with the rest of the nine and a half tribes across the River Jordan to engage in the, the battles and to help settle the rest of Israel in their territory. So that's the explanation of that there. We've got the nine and a half living in the west side and the two and a half living on the east side. Now... As we said a few months ago, all this conquering without context is very uncomfortable. Thank the Lord that we don't have to use um, warfare to, to spread the message of, of Christ. Jesus said, put away your sword. And so we live in a very different era. So I'm very grateful for that. But let's remember that the command to conquest this land was referring to specific tribes. Specific tribes. It was not to be the norm for Israel. This was not the, if you read through the instructions on warfare for Israel, this was not the norm, the way that they engaged in the battle in this land. And again, thank the Lord, it's not the norm for us. And also the people in that region were all out pagans. When you read the descriptions in the Bible and in other literature as well, their worship involved the occult, their worship involved child sacrifice, their worship involved sexual perversions and immorality. And so there was... Uh, a real full-on paganism that was going on in this land. And also, from the time of Abraham, the peoples in this land had over 400 years to change. And we know some had. We think of Rahab as a more recent example. Uh, and some will. Some come into, if you like, the family of Israel. Some repent of their paganism and trust in the Lord. But they had over 400 years uh, to read the writing on the wall. Now the time was up and judgment had come. Now, the aim, of course, when Israel was settled in the land, once settled there, that it would be a land where God's laws of love would, would be practiced. That was the intention. It was the intention that there would be in the land, under God's leadership, there would be blessing and joy. There would be a healthy relationship with God and, of course, with each other. And when you read the commandments and the instructions in the Old Testament, you see the aim is that there is a, a good, healthy relationship with God and a good, healthy, respectful, loving relationship with one another. And so what the land of Canaan occupied by God's people could have been, and at times approached, there was such great potential, such great blessing. But that's a story for another day, how things turned out. 
But let's focus on the three main points for this morning. First of all, we see there is an example of persistent obedience. And then we see there is a priority of relationship. And then thirdly, we see pursuing progress. Pursuing progress. So first of all, let's think about persistent obedience. Persistent obedience. Now, chapter 11 and verse 15 says, Just as the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, Moses commanded Joshua. This is what Joshua did, leaving nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And then chapter 11 and verse 20. Uh, 20 oh yeah uh, got the wrong place there anyway yes so that we got the instruction there I think it's um, verse 23 so Joshua uh, took the entire land in keeping with all that the Lord had told Moses Joshua then gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments after this the land had rest from war so we see that Joshua was someone who carefully obeyed the instructions and we see this in a number of verses in Joshua so the instructions to and through Moses we see were considered as from the Lord and Joshua was very careful to put those into practice now there were some really big immediate victories we got the battle of Jericho AI and so on some immediate big victories but also we know that part of what was going on uh, over these uh, of this t conquering of the land was little by little little by little Exodus 23 and so on talks about that that God anticipated and the intention was that there would be an element of little by little as Israel uh, took over the land of Canaan now we can all have good moments can't we where things seem to go really well where we kind of make progress in our Christian lives and so on but also there are times when it's little by little isn't it it's it's slow progress it's little by little and we see in the conquest of Canaan we see the big victories the, the Jerichos and so on, but we also see the little by little. And it's, we see how Joshua was a man of persistent and long-term obedience. Sometimes it's easy to obey in the short term, isn't it? When we're on a roll, uh, when our emotions are high, but sometimes the long-term persistent obedience, day by day, that can be more difficult. And it took about seven years from the entry into the, the land until we come to the end of chapter 14 uh, and we, uh, sorry, chapter 19 and we see the, the kind of time it took for the basic uh, kind of taking over the land. So there were some quick initial victories but there's also a long haul. It seems to have taken about seven years. Now, how committed are we in the long term to obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ? How committed are we to that day-by-day -day obedience? Yes, we might have had some, some, some significant moments in our Christian lives where we overcame certain things, but what about the day by day? Are we committed to carefully following our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, the name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua. So, very interesting how there's, there's links and parallels. Jesus, our Joshua, Jesus, our Joshua, and, and Joshua and Jesus means the Lord saves. So, they both really mean the Lord saves. Now, Jesus, our Joshua, we know that he obeyed everything, didn't he? Everything he was given to do. He kept the, the law in principle and practice of God. And he obeyed in all ways to save us. He lived that life in order to save us. He even went to the cross to provide us with the, the forgiveness that we need for our failure to keep the laws of love. 
And of course, through him, through his death and his resurrection, we have a great inheritance, which we're going to look at uh, more this morning. So Joshua, we think of the parallels, his obedience was crucial to the Old Testament Israelites. His obedience was crucial as a leader there. But Jesus and his obedience is absolutely and essentially crucial, to add those uh, superlatives in, it is absolutely essential and crucial for all people, for us to be saved from our sins, to be saved from sin slavery, like the Israelites were saved from slavery in Egypt. Jesus' death, resurrection is crucial for us to be saved from our sins, slavery to sin, and so that we can have a great salvation, and so that we can have an inheritance given to us in him. So as, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus, and the clues in the in the phrase followers of Jesus, we seek to follow his teaching, we seek to follow his example, we seek to follow Jesus. He's our dear, lovely leader, isn't he? Our saviour. How passionate, how concerned are you to obey him? I think it was the missionary C.T. Studd who, in his Bible, uh, would underline everything he could find about the things that Jesus said, instructions, guidance, and wisdom. And uh, why did he do that? Because he was care wanted to be careful to follow everything that Jesus had said. How? We may not underline our Bibles, but are we concerned to, to listen to what Jesus said and to put it into practice? Jesus obeyed out of love to save us, didn't he? He obeyed because he loved us. He loved the Father and he loved us and he wanted to save us. We see in John chapter 17 and verse 4, we see about his obedience there. So John's Gospel and chapter 17 and verse 4. He says to the Father, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And of course he was anticipating the cross, uh, what he was going to do in a very short while as he stepped through even to obedience to the cross. And he did that because he loved us, because his mission was to, to save us. Now we're to obey and follow Jesus, not to save ourselves because we can't. We can't save ourselves through trying to obey. But what we do, we obey our Lord Jesus, our Joshua, out of love to say thank you to him for his obedience and his sacrifice, which saves us. We obey not because we can save ourselves through it, but because we want to say thank you and because we, we want to be fruitful. We want to live fruitful lives. We want to live godly lives. And in John's Gospel, a bit further back in chapter 15, verse 9 and 10, it says there, as the Father has loved me, he's instructing us, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So we're to be careful to, almost like if you imagine there's a, a spotlight, a, a beautiful spotlight of pure light. And we want to keep not on the edges where it starts to grow into the darkness, but we want to keep in the center. We want to keep in the very epicenter of that light, don't we? We want to keep in the very center, the epicenter of his love. Remain in my love. Obey me. Follow what I say. And we want to keep in the very center of that spotlight and the very epicenter of, of love. We don't want to stray towards the darkness. We want to keep in the center. And in doing that, we will remain close to the Lord. And the result of that is, as we remain in the Lord's love, as we remain in the epicenter, is that we will bear fruit, and much fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love 
one another. So we see that our fruitfulness, our development as Christians is linked to our obedience, our following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this persistent obedience over many years that Joshua uh, shows us in his example, in his living, and it's an example that we need to follow as we follow our Joshua, our Jesus, our Savior. Persistent obedience. And then there's a priority of relationship. Priority of relationship. Now you might have noticed from Joshua 14 that the priests were not given an inheritance. Now, the priests were from the tribe of Levi. Priests were from the tribe of Levi. And they seem to have missed out on an allocation of land. They seem to have missed out. In chapter 13 and verse 14, it says there, But the Israelites did not drive out the Geshurites and the Machathites, so Geshur and Machath still live in Israel today. He did not, however, give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was their inheritance, just as he had promised, the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the tribe of Levi didn't have any land allotted to them. And then in, over in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 3, second half of verse 3. Because Moses had given the inheritance to the two and a half tribes beyond the Jordan, but he gave no inheritance among them to the Levites. Verse 4. The descendants of Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. No portion of the land was given to the Levites except cities to live in, along with pasture lands for their cattle and livestock. So you might be thinking, well, if you were a priest back in the day, you've uh, missed out, haven't you? Because you've got no land allotted to you. The priests had no tribal territory. There were allotted places to live in the cities, uh, land for their animals, but it seems that they were kind of given manses in effect. They weren't given their own place to own, their own land to own. It was not freehold for them, maybe leasehold, but it was not freehold. They didn't have any tribal inheritance. They could have a share in the sacrificial offerings. So what would happen is that when people came to offer sacrifices, they were able to keep some of the grain or some of the meat, and so they're able to take part in that. So that's what part of what they, how they were provided. And they also provided shelter. They were provided places to live in, uh, homes to live in, in the cities. But no land inheritance. Verse chapter 30, 13 and verse 33. What was their inheritance? It says, the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, just as he had promised them. Now what does that mean? You know, we've not been given land but the Lord God is our inheritance. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't deny the importance of stuff. It doesn't deny the importance of material things. But where it might appear that they missed out on inheritance, they could share in the sacrificial meals, as we've said. And also, they had a particular closeness to the things of the Lord. Because the priests were involved in the worship at the tabernacle. Yes, they were involved in administering the sacrifices. They were involved in teaching the commandments to the people of Israel. So they were, they were involved in things that had a particular closeness to the things of the Lord. The priest's role to help people to draw close to God. The, the priest's role was to help people uh, as they administered the sacrificial system to be able to come to be forgiven and to draw close to God and also to teach people to love and obey God. And so they were fundamentally their roles were focused on relationship. Relationship with God, how we come to God and how we relate to each other. And so there was the, the, the vertical and the horizontal uh, relationships that the priests had a primary, primary, primary responsibility for. 
So through the mediation of the priests, with the sacrifices, people could approach God for forgiveness. People could enjoy something of a relationship with God. And that relationship was to be shaped, of course, by God's word. And that would lead to glory and blessing in the land. God's people living under his leadership, enjoying blessing in the land. The glory of God and the community under God's blessing, this was the priest's responsibility. And this, this of course, was or could have been, maybe sometimes, was a picture, a glimpse of life in heaven. So the priests had this particular focus and they had this particular role and they had, had the honor of handling the, the holy things, if you like. They had the honor of handling the things of God, being involved more directly in the things of God. And that was a privilege back then for the few. So they didn't really miss out. They didn't really miss out. Now, if you turn to, to Revelation chapter 1, we'll see something amazing. That's a transformation and a change from the, the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, only people from one tribe could be priests. Only one person of the priests could go into the, the Holy of Holies. That's the kind of the, 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 right at the end of the tabernacle or the temple where the, the presence of God was there symbolized by the, the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was a, quite an exclusive thing. Only one tribe and only uh, one person could actually go to the very epicenter of God's presence represented there. Uh, and so it was only the priests that could handle the holy things of God. But now we come to the New Covenant, the New Testament era, and through what Jesus has done, we find out something amazing. So Revelation chapter 1 and second half of verse 5. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him who loves us has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Can you see the transformation and the change? In the New Covenant era, it's not just a certain tribe that are priests, but every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest to serve God. Now, we don't do sacrifice. We don't do sacrifice of animals or anything like that. Why? Why is that? It's because our Joshua Jesus is the Lamb of God who once and for all gave his life as the final sacrifice. So the sacrificial system is over with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we don't need a separate priesthood. We don't need a separate priesthood anymore, do we? Because our Joshua Jesus is the great high priest. So we don't need a distinct, exclusive priesthood to go through because we come in prayer to our Lord Jesus Christ, our Joshua Jesus. So this means that as we, the children of God, who are now part of a kingdom which are priests to God, we can all enjoy a closeness to God in the New Testament era that was a privilege for the few who handled the holy things of God in the Old Testament times. So we now have a privilege of being able to, to handle the holy things of God, to be able to handle the word of God, to be able to read it for ourselves, to be able to, to listen to it being preached and taught to us. We, we can pray directly. We don't need to go to a priest with sacrifices. We can talk directly to God anywhere we are at any moment. Ultimately, we're not tied to other people in order to get to God. 
we can be useful to each other, can't we, of course, as we lead and preach and teach and so on, and as we share and encourage one another. But our relationship with God is not down to uh, a relationship with or the mediation of others, but we can come in a direct relationship to God through Jesus. In the Old Testament, the priests had this closeness to God, but not the ordinary people of the land. They were more distant from a relationship with God. He had to go through the mechanics, if you like, of the, the sacrificial system. But now in the New Testament, all of us have equal access to Abba Father. The Holy Spirit baptized the church to enable us to have this deeper relationship with God, to enable us to have power to obey, power to be fruitful, and most of all, power and the ability to know God. We have a great inheritance in and through Christ. But we also have something one day to come. We have this and more of it. Uh, what we have now, we have more of it to come. But we also have something else. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 tells us, you know, we have to hold lightly the things of this world, don't we? As Christian people, as, as priests to serve our God. We have to hold lightly to the things of this world. We use stuff, we use possessions, we use our homes, we use these things. But this is not our home. This is not our true, ultimate inheritance. These are temporary things. So we have to hold lightly to the things of this world as we serve God. We have to be willing to give up things to serve our God in this lifetime, to follow Jesus. But ultimately, we're going to inherit not just the, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, but we're also going to inherit land as well. In Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. What's that talking about? Well, the Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a, a new creation. This world is going to be refreshed, renewed, reconstructed, without any pain, disaster, disease, without death, without these things. And though we have to hold lightly to the, the things in this world now, to be willing to serve God and keep our priorities very much under check, we know that one day we will not lose out. Just like the priest didn't really lose out because of our relationship with God and all that he has for us to come. Now, of course, going back to the Old Testament times, if we were a Gentile, back in Old Testament times, we would basically have nothing in terms of uh, any, uh, as Gentiles per se, but now we have been brought in to share in the blessings of, on, in Christ, Jews and Gentile believers together, so that all that God has for us, we have in a relationship with each other, in a wonderful community. So this is something we have now and will only get better. We're starting to appreciate it now and it will only get better. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, once we were, had nothing to do with the things of God as Gentiles, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so join together with our brothers and Christians, brothers and sisters who are fellow believers in, in Christ, who are from a Jewish background, and people from all over the world, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. We are part of a family. And so we have wonderful things that God has done for us. We have a great inheritance ahead and now. We have this family. Our Joshua Jesus has, has brought us salvation, has brought us relationship with God, has brought us into community with each other of all tribes and tongues and nations, and there's more to come. More to come of that, including inheriting the earth.
So there's a priority of relationship here. Relationship with God is essential to know God. And in the Old Testament, the priests gave up land. They gave up that sense of possession and rooting in their lives in order to focus on the mediation, in order to focus on bringing God and people together. In the New Covenant, Jesus has summed up and completed the priesthood. And Jesus, the final great high priest, gave up heaven to be the final high priest. He became the lamb in order to bring us to God. And now, through Jesus Joshua, we have it all through him. We've even been brought into the priesthood in the sense that we don't have to go through mediators anymore. But through a relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with the Father and we have a relationship with each other. So there's a priority of relationship over possession. And that's something for us to, to challenge. Sometimes we get so caught up in possessions, don't we? So caught up in physical inheritances, so caught up in, in land, so caught up in these things that we, and we need them. And let's not deny that. We wouldn't go very far, would we, without shelter and without food? So we do need these things, but there's a priority of relationship that we need to keep in mind. And then lastly, work in progress or pursuing progress. Pursuing progress. As I said earlier on, key battles for the land of Canaan occurred within months. But the point where the land could be divided as we come to into Joshua 14 and onwards, that took uh, seven years, around about seven years. But even, that, even after that, there was still a long way to go. It tells us that there were many parts of the land that were still in possession by the Canaanites. So it was, it was actually still a work in progress. There was progress to be pursued. Later, we read that some of the Canaanites themselves became integrated into the Jewish community. We think of Ruth the Moabitess. We've already thought of Rahab and others too. We thought of the Gibeonites who came into the, into the Jewish community. So others were integrated as they turned from paganism and came to, to belief in the, the one true God. But much of the transformation of the land was little by little. Little enclaves and pockets and, and towns that were still, uh, still uh, in the possession of the Canaanites for many, many years to come. And so the transformation of the land from, if you like, paganism to the worship of the Lord was a long work in progress. Now in Joshua 13 and verse, um, verse 1, it talks, yeah, Joshua 13 verse 1, Joshua was now old, advanced in age, and the Lord said to him, you have become old, advanced in age, but a great deal of the land remains to be possessed and so on and so it talks about the land that needed to be remained and chapters 13 onwards uh, talks about the, the the dividing of the land and there are other passages which talk about some of the the other uh, conquests that had to be taken place and other areas of land that had to be cleared in the future and then uh, you see in verse 6 the second half of verse 6 God says I will drive them out before the Israelites only distribute the land as an inheritance for Israel as I have commanded you Therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine and a half tribes of Manasseh. That's because the two and a half tribes already had theirs uh, on the east side. So there was work to be done, basically, is the point here. The work in progress. Now, becoming a Christian, we are saved in an instant. It's as if the, the battle of Jericho has been won. The, the decisive battle that is the, if you like, the, the mother of battles the, the decisive battle that means that ultimately the war has been won because the evidence that God is in charge, God's power is there, and so on, the ultimate decisive battle has been won. The very second that you become a Christian, 
in an instant, you are saved. Because the war was won on the cross. Ultimately, the war was won on the cross. We believe in what Jesus has done. We put our faith in his work for us. And so we are saved instantly. And often the obvious and visible vices are overcoming our lives. So there are great victories that take place uh, as, we, as we come to Christ. There are many testimonies of people who are addicts and uh, various things and other problems in their lives. And, and God cleans up our lives and some of the big obvious sins are, are often dealt with in a short while. But then there is a work in progress, isn't there? There's a work in progress which takes years. There's the process of progress, of being cleaned up in our attitudes, in our behavior, in our speech. We call it sanctification. That's the technical term for it, sanctification. And it takes a lifetime, the process of sanctification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, it talks about this process as being done. So 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. And verse 2, it talks about Christians at Corinth, the church of God at Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So it talks about people who are Christians as sanctified in the past tense. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it talks about it in the present tense. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is something which is, in, going to, is happening and is going to happen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So notice that there's an instant we are sanctified in Christ when we become a Christian. But there's also a process. There's something that's happened in the past and something that is occurring now. And when we become a Christian, we are saved instantly. We are, it's as if we have been sanctified. All our sins are, are forgiven. We're cleaned up. Legally, we are sanctified. We are clean in God's presence. But then there's a, a process of the practical sanctification of our lives becoming more like Christ. There's the process of overcoming sin. There's a process of growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the very moment, the very nanosecond that you become a Christian, you have the security that you are saved. You also have the certainty because of that that the process will be completed. That you're not going to get, get lost on the way. You can't lose your salvation once you're saved. But we also have the presence and the power of God the Holy Spirit not only to assure us that we will reach the end goal through Christ but also be, we, we have the power to change in the here and now. So we are sanctified. We are saved. We are secured. But we also need to be sanctified. There's the process. We already have a great allotment the very second that we become a Christian. But what we have now, of course, will become clearer and clearer as we go forward and richer and richer as we go forward. And just as the land of Canaan was gradually conquered over the years, even though decisive battles have been won, it takes years for us to grow and explore what we have in Christ and to enjoy what we have in Christ. And one of the reasons why we've been left on this planet, well, one reason is so that we can tell others go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the other reason is because God wants us in this world to grow to be as much like Christ, to become more like him, to exhibit and develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we are work in progress. And we need to acknowledge that. 
And you might be a fairly new Christian and, and very discouraged maybe because of certain things which are taking longer to deal with in your life. Some are taking a very long time. We are a work in progress and God knew that when he saved you. There are some things which you've overcome already. Some things which uh, God has helped you to get through already. But there'll be many, many things that are a work in progress. The way we think, the way we relate to others, the way we speak to others, the way we behave. There'll be areas, pockets, enclaves of paganism, if you like, in our lives that need to be overcome over a period of time. And we need to be active in this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, tells us that we need to get rid of the things, the certain things. We need to be active in this. Just as the people of Israel, just as Joshua, as they followed the commands of God, they were active in rooting out the elements of paganism that were still in the land. And we see we need to do this. Not other people, but what's in our own hearts. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the battle is on. There are still enclaves and pockets of paganism in our own hearts that need to be dealt with. And we need to be honest about that. None of us have made it. None of us are there, are we? All of us have these things. So one of the reasons why we meet together is to face that honest reality and to help each other, encourage each other as we seek to make progress. Now, when the ancient Israelites didn't share the same passion as Joshua to do what's right, when they kind of got entangled up in the paganism they saw around them, because some of the pagan worship was quite attractive to the senses, sometimes when they got involved in these things, their progress was spoiled. And what could have happened in a shorter time and more wonderfully got bogged down. And so we can spoil the progress that we could make in our lives. To maximize our progress in the battles with sin, to experience more of God, to make more progress, we need to put effort and energy into our spiritual growth. As 1 Peter, 1, 1 Peter 2 says, we need to get rid, to work actively, and to crave the pure spiritual milk, to, to have a, a growing resistance and hatred to things which just spoil our progress and, and keep us away from a closer relationship with God and to have an active desire for more of what will bring us into a closer relationship with God. Canaan would never have been a perfect picture of paradise in the world as it is, but it could have been so much better. We will never be perfect in this lifetime, but we can make progress. So let's help each other in that. Imagine that you inherited that big house. Imagine you inherited that big estate that we thought of earlier on. But you lived in the garden shed and you stayed just within a few meters and you never explored all that inheritance that you'd been given. Imagine that. Sometimes as Christians we do that. We live in the garden shed when God wants us to go up to the home to enjoy it and to explore the land. So we have so much in Christ. So what is our action plan? What, is our, what do we need to do? Well, I think we need to be encouraged and enthused by what a wonderful inheritance we have now. We need to remind ourselves what we have now in Christ. And we need to take that to heart. And then we need to use that as a springboard to help us to look forward to uh, what we can become now as we make progress in Christ, as we think about these things. So let me read to you 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9 as we draw to a close. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. And as we read this, consider all that you have, all that is to come through your relationship to Christ. And then think, 
How are you going to live in the light of this? May that be our action plan. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we pray. Father, we thank you for the parallels with the Old Testament here and how those Old Testament believers in you, that nation had an inheritance and we know that Joshua was key in that uh, dividing up of the land and conquering and dividing up of the land. Lord, we thank you that we have an inheritance which is far greater than anything they could have ever, ever have dreamed of. Lord, thank you that we have an inheritance that is beyond land, that is beyond possessions. Lord, that is eternal, imperishable, indestructible and we thank you that inheritance is in Christ Lord help us to read these verses again help us Lord to think about them help us Lord to consider what we have in Christ what we have in you Lord and help us dear Lord to live in the light of this to hold lightly to earthly possessions earthly land because of the greater things that we have in you help us Lord to seek to explore what we have in you Lord to grow and make as much progress as we can as we seek to live our lives and to grow more like you so please help us to explore what we have and all the potential that we have in our lives and lord help us to think of what lies ahead as we sometimes suffer for being christians sometimes find it hard in the struggle in the battle helps to remember all that we have ahead and help that to motivate us as we go through our lives so we pray for your blessing upon your word you know each of us and how this applies to us help us to take it to heart and put it into action in our lives in jesus name amen